This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. You're such a great audience. I love having chats with you on Instagram and Facebook and through email and all the rest of it because you're a very dedicated audience who enjoy these conversations with luminaries from the extreme metal, hard rock and heavy metal scenes and this is a great example of the sort of conversations that I'd like to bring to you because it features James Bullock aka Human Furnace. He's the front man for Ringworm. They're a group from Cleveland in Ohio in the United States of course. Now the catalyst for the conversation is due to the launch of a new album. Their first for Nuclear Blast. It is called Seeing Through Fire and it is one of the albums of the year so far. I'm enjoying this one a lot. It's a brutal menace of a thing. And you all know that I love the hardest and heaviest sounds available. Great example of it through seeing through fire. Now, of course, we talk all about the album, its creation, James's thoughts on potentially what it's going to do for the band. Hopefully it brings them a bigger audience because it certainly deserves to. Maybe Nuclear Blast, the the association with Nuclear Blast will now do that and give them a bit more of a reach into Europe. And he has some interesting comments on the band's back catalogue and why that's very hard to get a hold of for the casual fan. You dedicated types will always find a way to get the albums. But yeah, it's interesting to hear his thoughts on that. And another, another unique aspect of this chat is I always like having a chat with bands that have been signed with uh, or to Victory Records about the label head, Tony Brummel. He's a fascinating guy because go and Google his name and you'll see that some of the bands that were signed to Victory Records have some less than favorable things to say about the bloke and you'll hear what James has to say about him and his experience on the record, on the record label as well. All right, let's dive into it. Before we get to the chat, if you're listening via the podcast apps, I've got a tune to share with you. Of course, it's from Seeing Through Fire. This one's called Thought Crimes. I can't play the song if you're listening or watching via bloody YouTube, though. I'll get a copyright strike, unfortunately. So if you're on YouTube, here's the chat. If you've tuned in via the podcast apps, here's Thought Crimes, and the chat will follow. Let's go. Yeah! 
Hello there. Good morning from my perspective and probably good afternoon or good evening for you. How are you, James? I'm fine. How's it going? Yeah, great, great. How's the uh, how's the calls or the Zoomers, as they're called these days, mate? How have they been going for this album? I have to, I'm doing a lot of them. So today I'm doing like eight. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's any... fucking nuts, but whatever. You know, that's how it is when you got a new record, you know? People you got to do all this yeah, yeah, I get you. P- people have accused me of hinting at xenophobia when I ask this question. You'll see why it's ridiculous when I ask it. But is is there any country or group of people that you find are uh, are particularly unusual in the way that they ask questions? For example, I was talking to the drummer from Underoath, gosh, almost a decade ago now, and he was telling me that the German media types, they tend to ask questions like, so this album is pretty good. The last album was absolutely garbage. Why is it so much better? (laughs) That's funny you say that because I've always found a lot of German people to be pretty upfront with that type of stuff. You know, Um, they'll be like, yeah, the last record sucked this, you know, they're really, and honestly, I kind of appreciate that kind of candor, but um, besides that, I did. I did a Zoom with a, a French um, publication, whatever it was. I'm not sure, but I had trouble with it because he spoke pretty good English, but he spoke so fast that I just couldn't understand him. So every question I had had to have him repeat it like three, four times before I understood what the hell he was saying. So that was a little difficult. But other than that, I kind of just roll with the punches. Nothing really offends me too much. Even if someone yeah. doesn't like our band, I don't even give a shit, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, I've taken that attitude with my show as well. It's uh it's uh the, the appreciation is in the eye of the listener or the reader or the beholder, in other words. And mate, we don't know what, what shoes they've been walking in up to the point that they've done the interview or listened to what what it is that we put out there. You got that right. Mm. So look, this this album here, uh Seeing Through Fire. Okay, I've mm-hmm. had it now for a couple of days and I've listened to it a fair bit in the background as I work away from home. I'm a journalist, you see. So I get to do that. And uh, my first impressions are that it's a heavy, brutal bastard of an album. And, and, the, think... and the last one was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to be completely honest with you, okay, and this is rare for me. I, I was certainly I'd heard of your name before, but I hadn't dived into your catalogue as much as I might have liked to now that I've gotten to familiar with this album here because right. I, I I enjoy it because I like straight up brutal heavy music but I like I like brutal heavy music that you can actually listen to as well not just noise like some of it is that comes out but it's just heavy for heavy's sake there's some intent sure. there with you guys and um I might be wrong here, but I think this is your eighth studio album. But you've got a ton of splits, EPs, and this, I think this is I think this is our ninth. Ninth, okay, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. a lot of singles and EPs and comps and all that. Yeah, you've done stuff with Mind Snare, a band from Sydney or Melbourne, I think too. That was yeah, cool. those are our boys. Love those guys. Check that out. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. But do, do you feel, I know you've done stuff with um, Tony and, and Victory and, you know, as I say, you've, you've been around for 20 or 25 odd years at this point. But 30, 35. 35, Jesus. Okay. There you go. <laughs> but but now you're with Nuclear Blast and given the yeah. strength of the album and that it should appeal to many extreme metal fans, you know, the extreme metal fan that pays a fair bit to go on 70,000 tons of metal and goes to Varken and Bloodstock and all those sort of things. Do, do you feel like as though this is the album that will introduce to introduce you to that broader extreme metal audience? Yeah, we're, we're certainly hoping so. I mean, you know, we've been, we've been at this for a really long time. So it's like, and our music isn't, it isn't, um, it's, it's niche music. You know what I mean? It's not in the grand scheme of things. It's not very, um, listener friendly, I guess, to a mainstream audience. But that being said, there's still a huge part of the heavy music community that still doesn't know about us, you know, that would like us if they heard us, they just haven't because we haven't showed up on their radar. So we're definitely hoping with nuclear blasts, uh, the reach that they got, they're going to introduce us to that, you know, that, that section of heavy music listeners that 
you know, probably would not have uh, found us on a, on a regular, you know, dive into what's out there, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely hoping that's going to open up some eyes. Well, your vocal, it's an absolute menace across this album as, as it is on other albums, but your, your vocal is very much akin to another physical instrument. Okay. It's often said that the vocal is another instrument, but sure. your vocal really plays that role given the type of power that you've, you've displayed throughout the album. And one, one, I did go back into your back catalogue and I had a brief listen to things, but one of the things that I picked up was that it sounds like as though you finally have the sound through the type of production uh, that brings out the best characteristics of the band's sound without overcrowding, so nothing's really competing in the oral the oral quality there. So do you feel the same way? Yeah. we um, um, For a good chunk of our catalogue, um, the past few records, we recorded um, – I mean, once bands get comfortable in a certain studio, you usually stay there for a little bit, you know, when you get comfortable with stuff. And naturally, uh, that was the same for us. And then for the last two records, um, we, um, for the re- for the record previously to this new one, we recorded at a place called um, Mercenary Studios. And we recorded there, but we had um, one of the young brothers um, from the West Coast. He did the mix on it, which we were very happy with. But with and I did the vocals at the previous studio, so it was kind of a mixed match of stuff. So when we went into this record, Noah, who was our engineer at Mercenary, he was you know chomping at the bit. He's like, just let me do the whole record, let me record it, mix it, and master. Just let me do it. You know, he's like, I got a good, I got a good. He's got a great ear, and he's like, I think I I, I want to, you know, I know how to do this right for you guys. So this time we we concentrate everything and did everything in one spot this time. And uh, Noah just, you're right, he, he was able to kind of get, get a certain sound out of us that's very heavy, very raw, but at the same time, it's very listenable. You could hear everything that's going on, and it doesn't sound like a train wreck of just, yeah. you know, it doesn't sound like it was recorded on a boombox heavy, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's clear, but it's really raw and nasty. So he was able to, you know, um, give us a kind of a fresh a fresh sound, I guess, you know, kind of re not, I don't want to say reinvent because we always approach the studio the same way as far as what we do, uh, as far as like, you know, me singing or Matt playing guitar or whatever, but the way he was able to put it together and tweak it and, and, and mix it all together, just we're super happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you purposefully or with intent, because you're now with Nuclear Blast and there's potentially that different audience, did you write different songs this time for the album? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, actually, this record, um, just like probably uh, hundreds and thousands of other bands out there, the the uh, little pandemic lockdown screwed everybody up. I mean, it really threw a monkey wrench in just about every facet of living, especially music. It really screwed everybody up. So, well. Uh, we um we had finished our contract with relapse records and um at the time knew, nobody really knew what was going on so they decided to pass uh on um they had they had a choice if they wanted to do our next record or not they had first dibs at it and they decided to pass and we were like okay that's fine so at a certain point you know we were left without a label um without a manager without a booking agent without everything, you know what I mean? Let alone being able to go out and play. So we had nothing really. Our Facebook page got hacked. We got we had nothing. So we just kind of made a decision. We're like, what do you want to do here? You know, and we're not done making music. So we're just like, let's just make a record. You know, so we made so we wrote a record. We um we went in, recorded it ourselves. We did not have a we were going to put it out ourselves. And when we were done with it, um Noah again was like, Hey guys, what are you going to do with this? We're like, well, we don't know. We don't have a label. So we may just at this stage of the game, you know, people that hurt us will buy this record probably, you know, and Hmm. we'll be, you know, we'll be content with that. And then he's like, you know what, you really should shop this around because it's a pretty good record guys. So I made some calls and um, buddy of mine, Austin, I'm like, Hey man, you know, a lot of people, what do you think about, you know, spreading this around, seeing if anybody's interested in, Right off the bat, Nuclear Blast came back to us. They're like, yeah, we want to we put this out for you. So 
the record was made before we even had a label. We were just doing it for us. And then they they heard it and they really liked it. And they're like, yes, let's work together. And we're like, okay, let's do it. Mm. Yeah. Is is Europe your bread and butter or is it still the United States? I, it's probably, I wouldn't call it, call it bread and butter because we don't really make any money doing this. But, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, our reach and like, we don't, you know, overseas in Europe and stuff, like they they have a tendency, and this is just natural. If you're not over there a lot, they'll tend to forget about you. You know, the turnover rate and like the hardcore scene or the metal scene is so fast, you know, and if you're not constantly over there, they're going to forget about you. And that's understandable. So we had the intentions of going back over in 2019 with our previous record. And then the world shut down for two years. So we, that didn't happen because the last time we've been over there would be 2016. So, um, although we still do, I would imagine we do okay there. Um, but primarily we just, uh, you know, we've just been a band that plays in the States for, for quite a few years. Cause it's just been too hard to get over there. So, um, again, with nuclear blast to help us give us some more reach over there. Um, we're, we're planning on coming back probably in the spring or summer next year, and maybe try to hit some of those big festivals that we've never been able to get in the conversation for, you know? So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I would have thought that that some of those festivals would have been champing at the bit to have you. On well, you, you know, you would think that sometimes we're a mystery band for, for even myself. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes they either fall through the cracks or, and a lot of times if you don't have any, like, you know, a manager or someone to get you into those conversations when they're putting these things together, no one's just going to come to you. You got to have someone in there that's pulling for you, that's pushing your name. And for a long time, we just didn't have a, a, we had a manager, but not anyone that had that type of juice. You know what I mean? You need someone out there that's kind of pushing you. And uh, so hopefully that's going to change. I mean, we certainly are open to do it. Now we've done some few in the past, but um, we re really want to kind of hit all those this time. I mean, I certainly think we're worthy of it. No, no question about that. You certainly got the the heritage and the legacy there, and that's what that's what those festivals are all about: honoring the tremendous legacy of so many bands. Yeah. And, and well, it's it's, like, it's strange too because we're we're if I have to explain, I mean, explain it. It's we're we're more of a blue collar band. I mean, you know, sometimes little or no fanfare, but we just keep putting out records. There's some bands that you know put out two records, break up for twenty years, get back together, and then they're hot, new thing again. We've quietly and it's well, sometimes quietly, but just continue to put out records, you know what I mean? Over the past 35 years. So sometimes, you know, that doesn't um, amount to a lot of currency with, with, with some people, you know, it's like, they'll prefer you just to be a band that put out one good record and break up and then get back together, you know, but we still like making records. So we just keep putting them out. Yeah. It's a strange old world that way, but I think the fans have a, I mean, what can you do? Fans are fans, right? But they, sure. uh, to your point, yeah, if uh, they love nostalgia, I find, and mm -hmm. they get how many Cliff Burton T-shirts do you see on seventeen-year-olds that wouldn't bloody know a thing about him? You won't even, sure. of course, they're not even, yeah. But they they have this thing where they go for the myth of the legend, as opposed. Well, we kind of have that too because we've been around for so long. But we also continue to make new records. So a lot of times when we do play these things, we and, and usually every time we tour or play, we we're one of those bands that won't throw away our old catalog. We always keep um, a consistent amount of like um, older songs in, in our set list. You know, just because I get it. There's people that you know that are our age that grew up listening to us that don't know the new stuff. But then there's new there's new fans that only knew the new, know the new stuff. So we try to keep it as as best as we can because when you get to nine records, that's what make building a set list gets really tough, mm. you know, to please everybody. And if you're only playing a half hour or forty five minutes, something's got to get cut sometimes. So, mm. you know, I, I understand the nostalgia bit, but to to your point too, there's a lot of young people that were it's you know. It, it's just a bit more of just being having that allure for something that's retro, and you know, and not uh, 
uh, I don't really know how to put it, but I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's just so weird. I, look, I, I remember when Countdown to Extinction came out, you know, this sort of thing, and uh, I had the T-shirt, and but then you see kids that are the same age I was when it came out wearing the same T-shirt, a reprint of the same T-shirt, an updated design or what have you, and my point has always been, and I've expressed this a fair bit on the show, but don't you want your own bands from your own era? Don't you want to get right into it? And I suppose that's what the metalcore thing was about too and the deathcore sure. thing as well. And a lot do do that, but particularly with the the legacy and the traditional metal fans, so broadly speaking, you know, they get into uh, power metal, death metal, black metal, all of that sort of stuff. They tend to worship at the altar of the, these older bands, and I think yeah, that's that's okay. But you know, forge your own path ahead and find your own bands and be in the moment sure. with your own bands rather than buying into. Well, I mean, that 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 goes to speak to some of the like some bands coming out because what they'll do, and there's no knock because every every band is influenced by what they grew up with for the most part. But there's a lot of bands that come out that are that don't really bring anything new. They'll just go back and copy what was done, say, in the 80s, verbatim. And then you have a lot of younger kids who like those bands, love those bands, but in turn, they won't listen to the the, the older bands that these bands are directly ripping off. You know what I'm saying? So they'll be like, I love this band. They're like, oh, if you love them, you must have heard these guys. They're like, no, I never heard of them. You'd be like, really? Because they've been doing, they've been doing it since 1983. You know? So... It's um, it's always I always think it's good when uh music listeners do their homework a little bit too. You know, you can get a broad, expand your mind a little bit, broaden your horizons, kind of you know, I don't know, try to try to have a little more um, larger scope when you're listening to certain genres and see you know, but yeah, it's. You know, keep Extreme metal's got a lot in common with jazz, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Okay, the first and the big biggest one that I know of is that extreme metal, like jazz, is the only truly globally or universal is the better term musical genre. Meaning that you can go to Saudi Arabia and find an extreme metal band, as you can go to Chile and United States, etc. You can't do that with hip hop. Okay, even though hip hop gets the mainstream media's huge push behind it same with jazz you can find a jazz band in saudi arabia as you can everywhere else in the world yeah it's a good point yeah the person that turned me on to that was uh jello biafra back in the 90s i remember him talking about it he was noticing that no matter wherever he went there was morbid angel t-shirts i think that's what the quote was and uh, and and he, he picked up on that and he said he'd never seen anything else quite like it but yeah it's it's to your point i think about you guys being blue collar and working class the genre is immersive in that we we're not passive. Oh, look, you know, look at what we look like, basically. Too, you know, you can tell right. what we're into for the most part, depending on the day, too. I suppose, and uh, I think it's a wonderful thing about the investment. And and but you, you said something early on, which is somewhat troubling, to be quite honest with you. I mean, you guys have been doing it as long as anybody, and you deserve to be able to make a career out of it. But has it not been that way for you? Just on the financial no, it's, front? Not, it's definitely not. I mean, we. Um... You know, I've said this in other interviews. At times, I feel maybe earlier on, um, we were we 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 didn't. You know, there was a certain point in music where everything had to be categorized. When I was younger, you know, there wasn't so many categories like this type of metal, this job, that everything's really put in their boxes now. So earlier on, there there wasn't too many boxes to check. So it, what would happen is we. Sometimes you'd be too metal for the hardcore crowds. And then transversely, we'd be too hardcore for the metal crowds. So we always kind of fell into this weird gray area. And, you know, although we could go play with a punk rock band, but we could also play with a super thrash metal band and we would just, we would do just fine, you know, but we never, um, we were always kind of a black sheep. So plus it's like, you know, a lot of the stuff that you have to do as a band unless you're very lucky, um, which a lot of bands are, but you kind of have to go where the crowd is, so to speak. Like if you really want to make this your living, especially these days, there's certain things that you have to do. You know, you're not just going to be able to be like, this is who we are, big deal. No, you've got to go out and do all these things that make you, that take you up in the, in the food chain a little bit. And that's stuff that like, you know, we're not always willing to do that, especially when it comes to like changing your style or incorporating clean vocals or, you know, stuff like that, that a lot of bands do, 
not all of them, but a lot of bands do to kind of attain to that next level, you know, that to, to move up in the food chain as far as trying to make it a living. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've, you know, we've had our times where we've gone, done a lot of tours, but we're all getting older too. So it's not easy to, you know, go out and not come back with a whole lot of money. So, but, um, we're, we're too dumb to quit. So we just keep doing it. And, you know, and if we come back with a little bit, if we come back with enough to pay our bills and do, do okay, then we, we, we invest more time in it, you know? So, um, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I've, I've numerous, numerous, some of my best friends are in full-time bands and that's what they do. And I understand that lifestyle, you know, I've seen it and lived it somewhat in a little bit, but hmm. you know, I don't know if that's the type of lifestyle that I would want to live, you know, being a full-time band, uh, in a full-time band, that's all you do, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. Bit of fate and destiny. It is, what it, it, it is what it is. I mean, you know, we want to do it as much as we can. And if it becomes a little bit more profitable to do that, because, you know, we live in the real world and bills have to get paid, then, you know, we'll do it more. But we're 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 still willing to do it for for fun, you know, because hmm. that's what we've always done it. What's the main breadwinner then for you? Are you are you a graphic artist? I, uh, yeah, I own a tattoo shop. I've owned a, I've been tattooing for like thirty five years. Um, owned my own shop for twenty five, and then I do graphic design and art and just about anything else on the side. So I have uh, have a business to look after as well. So leaving, you know, cutting up and leaving for months at a time is not the best business model as an owner. So. You have a responsibility to that. So, uh, but that's where my bread and butter is at mainly, is tattooing. Mm. Yeah. What city are you, do you live in? Cleveland, Ohio. Uh huh. Was that one of those cities, a bit like Melbourne here, that was really hit hard through the pandemic with lockdowns? Yeah. We, um, we were shut down. My business was shut down for close to three months. And that was, uh, that was tough. Um, we were, you know, financially able to withstand that but i mean it got difficult after three months um let alone having to take care of your employees as well um i have lots of other ways avenues i can earn money um but a lot of my employees are just they're full-time tattooers and when you can't tattoo for three months it gets rough so it was it was awful it was really bad so um, we were able to, you know, navigate through that and get everybody back to work. And, you know, it was just, it was what it was, man. It was, it was, it was really shitty, especially when you could go places and other places were open that were someplace, you know, you could go to, a, Florida. you know, you could go to a Walmart or a, a Home oh, yeah. Depot and those places were open. You're like, really? Okay. So, but what are you going to do? That's kind of how it was. So. It was a frightening reminder that we all tend to uh, submit ourselves to authoritarianism a little too easily, in my view. I'm and, sad, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. So, I mean, was, people uh, will be people. People will be convinced of just about anything, you know. If either you scare them enough, or you just, you know, uh, impose some type of threats to them, they'll fall in line for the most part. Just the nature of Listening to uh, Jordan Peterson talking to God Sad last night, he's a very good chat if you get a chance to listen to it. He's had a number of conversations with him, but this last one I think was probably the finest one yet. But he was talking about the nature of hell itself and how in authoritarian regimes, it's not the fear of retribution from the Stasi, from from those that are up the top. It's the inclination of those that are around to keep everybody complicit to the authoritarian yeah, nature and yeah that's that's absolutely true i mean that's kind of like i addressed that a little bit on one of the songs on the record we don't really we're not a political band and i don't ever preach because who am i i'm not a perfect dude you know but i you know the song thought crimes is somewhat akin to that thought that you know we are being manipulated in so many ways whether it's through marketing or everything around you is kind of pushing some type of agenda on you. And if you're not real, if you're not cognizant of that, you could fall into a lot of traps. I mean, it works, it's all around you. So 
it's almost unavoidable. But as long as you kind of have in your mind that like everyone's trying to get you to do something. So you have to be kind of aware of that when you're going through life or, you know, uh, bad things can happen, you know. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I just, oh God, I could talk about this topic for ages. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I could do, but it's it just annoys the hell out of me. I mean, I, my, my father-in-law had to escape Croatia, a communist regime. Otherwise, he would have been killed. And I think a lot of people in the Western Hemisphere, particularly us Anglo-Celtic types, not you and I, I mean, but you know, white liberals or what have you, mate, they seem to be so intent on turning us into this fucking bloody authoritarian cesspit and, and you know, identity, through through identity culture and intersectional politics and all this sort of stuff. And it's not it's not so-called people of colour that are doing it for the most part. It's white liberals in my – you only have to turn on Twitter or what have you to see to see that for yourself. And I don't understand how we got to that point, you know. it's uh, We're so very lucky to live in this epoch in history where nobody's yeah, knocking at it, bashing down our door to kill us or our family. Yeah. It's a weird time, is it not? It's a very strange time. Where are you? Where are you calling me from? Whereabouts are you? Just a little south of Brisbane in Australia, so okay. Gold Coast. Yeah, so for, oh. probably uh, I went to Hawaii to be honest, and it didn't look any different to where I'm living. So, so <laughs> sort of in that part. I've been, of the there, world. I've been to Brisbane before. I like it. Had a good time yeah. there. Yeah, lovely city, and uh, I, I found it really nice. I thought it, it's kind of blue collarish, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, blue collar issue. It never goes below. I mean, I've got my jacket on. I don't bloody need to. It's in the middle of winter here, but it's uh, probably about twenty-one degrees now. So um, we never gets too cold. You know, it's as I say. I think I honestly believe this. I think uh, in, in, throughout history, this is uh, probably one of the easiest places ever to live right now, right. and in this particular where I'm from here, because you know you, you get food on the table. We've got a welfare state here in Australia. Too. So, I mean, you got we got nothing to complain about, but you know, people do, right? <laughs> hey, well, I wanted to I want to ask you a question. I spoke to Dave Matrice about this as well. Um, but working with Tony Brummel and Victory Records, uh, <laughs> the question's yeah, got to yeah, come yeah. up right because he uh, yeah. there was that expose a couple of years ago where even former bands wanted to fight him and all sorts of stuff. But what oh, was yeah. your experience? Well. <laughs> Not a very good one. I mean, honestly, I never saw him much. You never really did. At least we didn't. I mean, if we played in Chicago, he wouldn't be there and et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of had to work through go-betweens to ask him any questions. And, you know, and like a lot of bands, um, we kind of feel like we didn't get our fair shake there. Although we did sign a contract. So, you know, Sometimes you're like, well, you just got to fucking shut up and take it. You know what I mean? Because he just signed a contract. So that's how it goes. Although, um, that being said, uh, the last time I did see him, we were playing in Chicago and he was there and he was off. He was fucking drunk as fuck. And, you know, and then he came up to me and was hang like talking to me like we were best friends forever. I'm like, dude. And then I just kind of let loose. I'm like, you're a fucking asshole, dude. I'm like, you fucking suck and all this shit. And he's like, what are you talking about? Man? And I'm like, and at that point, I just didn't really care. I'm like, whatever, dude. I'm like, you know, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, he didn't have a great experience on that label. I mean, we were stuck there for a lion's share of our career. Like yeah. before we put out four records on Victory. Which like when they when they had selling Victory, they sold to a larger uh, company that just basically buys publishing rights. Concord. And yeah. So we uh, those those records that that we put out on Victory will never legally see the the light of day again. I mean, there's there's no there's no. Um, we tried to work with that that company to try to get the rights to uh, reissue any of them, um, and they make it pretty much logistically impossible and they have no um inkling to to put them out themselves you know because they own like bob dylan's catalog and shit they don't give a fuck about ringworm so it's like then let us do it but then they're like nah so those records will just you know never come out again really legally so well, thank yeah. god for streaming this is where streaming i mean i know you don't see a bloody dime for it but the, the well, at least your music yeah. gets to live to fight another day yeah, I mean, you know, we've gone as far as even when we, I mean, we were trying to get off that label by the second record because we knew it wasn't really going anywhere for us because the times are changing then. It was like, you know, but uh, 
you know, we were trying to get off that label. And we would oftentimes when we couldn't get product, I would just go out and buy blank CDs um, before a tour and just burn as many CDs as I could and just give them away. You know, if someone came to the merch table, I'm like, do you have this record? They're like, no, I'm like, now you do. Here you go. I would just give out burn copies of them because, you know, we're not going to see any money from victory anyway. So I might as well give them, give them our record, you know? Yeah. yeah. So no, it's not the best experience. No. No, well, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, I th- I think your experiences or oh, Dave Dave was uh, was emphatic that he didn't have any issues and I don't think he was bullshitting either. Uh from Jay from Dun- Jungle Rot, sorry, I was pointing out. Yeah. But, um but uh yeah, I mean look, he, he, he you can be inside the same family, nuclear family yeah. and have a different experience with parents too. So Absolutely. You know, I know some some bands that got along with them fine. I know a lot of people that basically drove down there and walked into his office and threatened to kill him. You know, he didn't do that. But, but again, like I said, it's like, well, you know, he may have been, uh, let's, how do I like to put it? I guess he wasn't stupid. He's not as dumb businessman. He's very intelligent when it comes to that stuff. So, you know, unethical, maybe most likely, but you know, when you sign a contract, there's no, stipulations for someone being unethical you know so uh yeah it is what it is what's well, you know, you that, that? Yeah. what's that yeah. you've landed on your feet now with nuclear blast though and that's the other yeah thing. i mean we did fine with our uh, lab with relapse when we moved to relapse that was a breath of fresh air as well it was great working with them i'm like oh cool you know and so far so good with with nuclear blast so you know I'm just glad we're not on victory. Did you find it odd that Relapse didn't want the option for the next album? Well, you know, not really, because it was such a weird time, because you got to think, too, for two whole years, all bands were doing was writing music. That's it. So when it came time for our record, they're like, we've already got like 20 releases that are bottlenecked, ready to come out. So we're not getting any younger. So it's like, yeah, if we do it, Okay, but we probably couldn't get your record out until 2024. You know, their releases are so backed up. And then you had the pressing plants, which couldn't keep up with the vinyl demand. And everything just kind of bottlenecked because people didn't quit creating music. They just couldn't put it out. So these labels were just jam packed. And, you know, we didn't, you know, we, you know, we didn't really bitch about it. They're like, no, we're just going to pass. And we're like, that's fine. I mean, our contract had expired and, we did well with them for three years and, you know, we had a good relationship. So we're like, all right, well, let's, let's move on to uh, something new. And then nuclear blast happened. And uh, so it all kind of worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed it has. Yeah. And what about, what about Australia? Have you, you mates with the guys in mind snare, obviously, but have you been oh, down yeah. here and what's your impressions of the audience here? I'm like, we fucking love it down there. Like it's so strange that a band like ours that we can't manage to, kind of get get into certain circles but yet we've been down to australia and new zealand three times and some bands some huge bands have never been down there at all i always find it strange but um every time we come down there it's a it's a freaking blast we actually may be down there this year at some point oh great. So fantastic that's yeah. the scoop on that but we don't know yet but maybe but when we do we, we have a blast i mean i don't know the crowds are awesome the people are awesome we've made some friends um lifelong friends from our first tour down there that we still talk to that come and visit us here in the States. I actually stayed after our, our final tour actually, cause I tattoo. So I stayed an extra two weeks and just traveled and tattooed at different tattoo shops. Wow. Um, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, um, so hopefully we can get down there again. I mean, um, the people are cool. The venues are cool. Everything's cool. We always have a blast. Yeah, I think you suit. I think you suit us. You know that. I just got a vibe from some bands, and some bands feel like as though they're tailor made for the Australian audience. There's a there's a group called Dream Killers that you may or may not have heard of. They're from Brisbane, and uh, okay. I would love to see you guys do. If if you tour, and it sounds like as though that's on the cards, I'd I'd love it if Dream Killers could be on the bill with you guys because as a one two punch man, it'd be brilliant. Well, cool. yeah, I mean, we're we're up for whatever. And yeah, we always seem to get along because Australians just seem to have thick skins and they kind of get our humor because we don't really kiss anybody's ass. We don't go up there and be like, hey, we love you. We bust balls. 
and we get mean and we get rowdy and you guys seem to just uh, click with that. And, and we're, and we're great with that, you know, and everyone has a good time and it just, uh, no one takes everything, anything too seriously. I'm sure, I'm sure Australia's no, no, um, you know, I'm sure they have a lot of people that, you know, like everywhere else, there's a certain percentage that, you know, find everything offensive. You know, you can't get away from that anymore. But Australia's yeah. always been like, like I said, a really thick skinned place. They could take a joke. They could bust balls right back at you. We like that. You know what I mean? So um, we get along well with that. Yeah. 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 You're right about what you say. I don't think it's too different to the United States like that. I think there's in any given time, mate, there's less than 5% of the people that make 95% of the fucking noise. And that's what we're all going through at the moment. But we've just got to realize that and not get out to yeah. it. And, uh, yeah. I mean, we just, we, we don't, we don't go out of our way to, um, we don't go out of our way to offend anybody. We're just doing, we're just playing music and, you know, and we just have fun. And if, if someone gets offended, well, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, what can I say? Uh, you know, but it is like, again, it is what it is. If, if, just like anything else, if you do not like something, then there's no one forcing you to listen to it or go see it. So, I know, I know that's the irony in it all. Just look away and it'll go away. But uh, no, they don't. They don't want to do that. They want to have a say, and that's that authoritarian creeping in, authoritarianism creeping in. But you know, that's like that. That's like that everywhere. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, indeed, yeah. What's well, it's, it's been great to have a chat. Um, I look forward to diving even further into your back catalogue, actually, what I can cool. find cool. at least anyway. And, and this you, album uh, here, mate. Yeah. You, you enjoying the new one then? Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, there's been a couple of very good albums. Tilda Dirt have got a great album. You know, Kelly Schaefer from uh, Atheist has got a new album out too. There's this oh, cool. one and this week's been a good week, actually. There's been the the Cavalera brothers, you know, Max and Igor did that bestial devastation and uh Morbid Visions yeah. re-release, which I like quite a bit. Did they, and complete, they, did they completely re-record those? Hundred percent, yeah. Wow, I, I saw that. I uh, haven't heard yet. Of course, I'm a fan of the the really early um, Sepultura stuff, the first few records, and then um, I'm friends actually friends with Derek, who's the current singer of of Sepultura. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, he's a Cleveland guy. He's a great guy, and they're still a good band. I just you know I grew up on the you know. Beneath Remains and Schizophrenia and pretty much up to a rise. That's kind of mm. you know, my my sweet spot with that band, really. That's just what I grew up with. But I'd like to check those out then, probably. Yeah, check it out. It's They've done a great job. I have to dive a bit deeper and find out who helped them with the production side of things. But that was the thing that was most impressive is that you could hear everything. It wasn't, you know, it always reminded me... It, of like uh, those those two albums, their initial recording sounded like they were recorded in a in a in a uh, rehearsal room with a tape. You know, just it probably was. I mean, yeah. schizophrenia, morbid morbid visions. I mean, those you know, th- those are very primitive recordings, but they have they have such they have character, and they have mm-hmm. like a little. There's something about those things. You know, you could feel you could hear the passion and when they're playing. You know. And yeah, bands, something. Probably a lot of bands strive for that. They'll spend millions to get that sound, you know, to try to capture that type of sound when it's, you know, it's it's such a time capsule, you know, it's hard to reproduce. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, they've done they've done a killer job. I, I can't stand re-recordings and re-releases for the most part because yeah. just about every band fucks it up. Look what Cradle of Filth or Danny Filth more to the point did with Cruelty and the Beast with that one. It's it's just it's wrong, you know. Well, I mean that's that's also been brought up to us because with the um our previous catalog, the victory stuff, we can't get it. Someone's like, why don't you just re-record it? And we're like, eh, I don't know if we want to do that either. You know, because there's something about the, those records or those records, you know. So, yeah, I can see where some bands feel like they need to do it, but it never quite works out the way they want it to. And you're right, it doesn't. And you 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 are in a bind that way. So I can completely understand if you decide to go down that route. But all I would say is you've got such a bright future based, based on what I've heard here with seeing through uh, fire that yeah. you just don't need to. I mean, people will find, yeah, you know what, fans are resourceful, mate. They find the old stuff. You know that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, well, like I said, you, you know, those 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 records can't legally come out. But, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe someday you'll see them somewhere, you know. 
I hope so. Just go to, you know, you know what it's like in Indonesia and Malaysia and places like that, mate. You know, you can get anything printed up you want in those sort of places and then, you know, go around on tour. What are they going to do? See you? See you for your own material? Good luck. Yeah, right. Right. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Cool, mate. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much. I hope to see you down here sometime soon, as you've pointed out. It's probably likely. So, as a a matter of fact, um, if if we are able to um, make um, a trip down there this year, I think it more or less probably starts where you're at. Oh, fantastic. Okay, no worries. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it'd be great to see you guys live. Yeah, we'd like to do it. It's got to work. It's a you know, it's it's not easy for bands from the states to come down there. It's expensive. It's even more expensive now than it's ever been. Obviously, everything is. So it's it's uh it's just a matter of like you know someone willing to bring us down and us willing to everyone's everyone needs to be willing to lose money, (laughs) you know. And you just got to do it for just the love of playing and traveling and getting to see your friends and screaming at a bunch of people you don't know. Yeah. Well, you, you're right about your point there about there being a glut of releases. We've had a lot of tours post-COVID as well, which I think's yeah. put a burden on the hip pocket of the the average punter, the working yeah. punter, if you like. And uh, I know a few tours, like the Jungle Rot tour was actually pulled through. through oh, that didn't happen? It didn't happen. Dave actually told me it was lack of ticket sales. It just, I, I look, I, I don't know any of these people. I know a couple of them, you know, like Soundworks right. and a few of the other ones, the bigger ones, but some of the smaller, more boutique ones. Um, I'm not saying you've got to be careful. I'm definitely not saying that, but I've just noticed they're the ones where the tour gets, ah, oh, it's up and then it's pulled. And it's like, well, what's your business model around this? To your point, are you, are you big enough to lose money or is it a, is it a? Is it a? I know a lot of this can become a Ponzi scheme, unfortunately, too, where the band previous pays for the next band, and a bit like what we saw with Soundwave and AJ, eventually the house of cards collapses at some point because it's just the burden of it all becomes too much. But I just hope that the that the boutique promoters and touring agencies here, mate, they don't burn the burn the bands specifically and the the Australian fans either with some of sure, these things. Sure, that, that's mean, was, why it's, you know. That's why we're, we're you know. We're optimistic, but we're also cautious too. We don't. I mean, we we're we're working with trust, we're trustworthy people, but it just has to be right, you know. Especially when you're traveling halfway across the globe. So. Oh, it'd be terrible if it wasn't wasn't a success in just about every facet for you. But it is what it is. Well, right you know, every, every time we've been down there, it's been great. Every single time, and we have nothing to complain about. So we're excited to try to make it happen again. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed anyway. I hope it happens. Fantastic chat there with James. I get a vibe sometimes that uh, if my association with somebody that I've had a chat with, you know, if it could sort of go a little bit beyond the conversations for the podcast, I sometimes feel like as though I'd become mates with some of these guys, and James is a good example of it. What a tremendous fella. I really hope that they the extreme metal community gets behind them through seeing through fire because I think they're going to keep on doing it anyway from the sounds of things but success always makes things or greater success and a bigger audience always makes things just a little bit easier doesn't it okay so if you like that chat there are many more just like it at scarsandguitars.com heaps more as a matter of fact I'm up to almost 750 podcast episodes that have been posted hmm lots and lots and if you like listening i reckon you're going to like reading as well and i've written a book scars and guitars conversations from the world of hard rock heavy metal and extreme metal and beyond click on the link in the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and download a sample and just you know the last thing you're going to do before you go to bed each night is check your phone instead of scrolling through inane social media bullshit how about you download a sample and just read the first couple of pages and see if you like it no dramas if you don't purchase it of course there isn't but it might be something that interests you so many conversations that i've had are worthy of turning into and expanding on through the print format and that's what i've done there in the book i've expanded on the conversations and offered more context to them so hope you enjoy reading it okay i've got some more information to share with you about the book but before we get to that i need to bid you a farewell my name's andrew mckay smith and i'm the host of the scars and guitars podcast until next time it's a very goodbye for now 
This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it, yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.